Welcome to the Asset ESG podcast. We are here today with Madhu Gayer, Director, Head of Investment Analytics and Sustainability at Asia Pacific at BNP Paribas. Madhu, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Now, why don't we kick off by you sharing with us what you do? So, I look after the Asia Pacific region for, uh, as you said, investment analytics and sustainability, uh, unique uh, convergence of data analytics and ESG. Uh, so we look after that uh, practice for our institutional clients at BNP, and uh, especially working with uh, folks like pension funds, sovereign funds, uh, and of course, asset managers. Yeah, so as asset owners demand uh, portfolio managers to start incor- incorporating ESG principles, what are some of the first steps uh, you advise clients as they embark on this uh, journey? Uh, the first bit of, uh, well, uh, let's, let's not call it advice. I think there's enough, enough advice in the industry. Mm. Um, I think the first bit of uh, knowledge that we share uh, is really around the fact that there's no one silver bullet. It's a journey, mm. and certainly that uh, there are several steps you can take on this journey. Mm. Um, there are ways you can do it. There mm. are many approaches, methods. Mm. Um, and so that's really where we you know, really try to work with the asset managers or the asset owners and say, what stage of investing are you at? Mm-hmm. What are your goals? Mm. Uh, what are you actually trying to achieve with mm. the investment program? Yeah. What are your investment time horizon? Because mm. that actually plays a big impact as well. That's right. And on whose behalf are you managing these assets for? Yes. yes. So these are all key questions. And that takes us on that ESG journey. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, uh, BNP has produced uh, analytics, sustainability analytics. and. And can you show with us how robust or complex this analytics framework is that's available to clients? Sure. So we started this off as, uh, as many great ideas come through uh, with two people sitting in a room and pontificating what all this stuff means. So this was probably about uh, three, four years ago. Um, and gradually what we came to realize was where people really were looking at ESG and saying, I don't know what to do, was really around transparency. How do I describe it? If I can't measure it, how can I manage it? And certainly how can I communicate anything about it and talk to anyone about it? So that's really the starting point. And so what we did is decided to look at ESG was to say it's about analytics, it's about describing benchmarks, describing portfolios, describing the risks inherent in both. Mm-hmm. Then people can have informed conversations. Yeah. So for example, am I exposed to certain sectors that uh, could be uh, under threat? in, for example, a two-degree economy? Um, you know, are we talking about some uh, companies that have uh, not so great governance practices, for example? Uh, are we talking about companies that have revenue streams coming from markets or jurisdictions that are subject to regulation, which is uh, being driven by ESG? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we started looking at all this and saying, well, really it's about data, mm-hmm. and really it's about analytics, and mm-hmm. really it's about putting that forward. We actually built this and co-innovated with a pension fund. Mm. So one of our clients came to us with a problem statement and said, look, I'm, uh, you know, I'm trying to manage this stuff. Mm. And they were facing questions from their members saying, what are you doing with my money? They were facing uh, questions from uh, institutional stakeholders in the industry saying, how are you actually dealing with these issues? Uh, governance issues, social issues, environmental issues. And we very quickly came together and said, you guys are the practitioners, we'd love to work with you and build this. So we actually built this together. Um, and that was actually uh, that was actually a fantastic that was actually a fantastic collaboration because what we came through was a online platform where you could describe portfolios, you could describe benchmarks, a whole range of risks, 
controversies. You know, these are my top 10 companies in the media now, flagged for controversies, shareholder rights, all this kind of stuff. Um, as we started rolling that out, we realized that, it, that this became a very universal story. So we started in Asia, Asia Pacific. Uh, I remember many times sitting in Singapore saying, you know, what's next? Mm-hmm. Very quickly, we came upon, came upon uh, all the um, movements in France around carbon. Uh, we saw the push in China around green uh, financing, green investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen the same push in Hong Kong, of course, in the last couple of years. Uh, Singapore in terms of green bonds, Malaysia. So it's just taken off. Mm. And that to us is really the, the, the sort of the validation, if you will, mm. of starting with something very practical and pragmatic. Mm. You know, make it mainstream, make it BAU, mm. and people don't see it as mysticism anymore. You mentioned transparency, which is a key point, right? And when you talk about this analytics, what are we talking about? I mean, you're talking about how complex is this in terms of uh, transparency of data and data fits? What, what is the size of this universe that we're talking about? So it can be complex, mm. it can be very complex. Um, and I think, to be fair, we don't want to sort of undersell the, the, the scope of what we did. Mm. Because at the end of the day, what we want to make it uh, is to make it intuitive and easy to access. Mm-hmm. So we want people to go in there and say, look, I can see my top 10s, mm-hmm. I can see my sectors, mm-hmm. I can get a picture of what this means. Mm-hmm. But behind uh, all the visualization is a fair bit of science and a fair bit of data management. Mm-hmm. And the data management, if you, uh, you know, we looked at something like about 6,000 companies. Mm-hmm. Each company would have something like about 450 data points. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you start multiplying that through in terms of the number of uh, factors we're monitoring, mm. uh, the number of controversies monitoring, mm. the kind of business involvements these companies are involved in. Mm-hmm. You multiply that through by, let's say, a, just a global equity benchmark. Now, that's a lot of data. Mm. Now, how do, you, how do people go about doing this? Mm. Am I going to sit there with reams and reams of spreadsheets and trying to pull that together? Uh, what's the value? Mm-hmm. One of the interesting use cases, actually, that we came about in uh, looking at all this data is that uh, if, I, if I turn the clock back five years ago, mm. people were saying there's not enough data. Mm. I can't describe things. Yeah. What's interesting now is, is that that data revolution, uh, in, I think, has accelerated. Mm. I think now you have more data and, in fact, more diverse sources of data. Mm-hmm. And so now people are questioning and saying, how do we organize this stuff? Mm. How do we make it such that, uh, you know, if I take from one data provider or two or three, is there a correlation? Can I see the same themes? Can I see the same risks and opportunities? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where big data comes in. Yeah. So, and that's really been exciting for us in the past year and mm-hmm. a half, mm-hmm. is to then transform what we did, I think, uh, you know, in a very you know, practitioner-led way, mm-hmm. and now to start applying a bit more data science to it as well, mm-hmm. and saying, what does that mean mm-hmm. as we look at you know, um, not just monthly or quarterly engagements, what about mm-hmm. daily? Yeah. Um, so that's a big change as well. Share with us, uh, you touched on a point that I was going to raise on big data. Uh, share with us some of the initial big data that you have inputted into the system. As you say, it's no longer quarterly, it's no longer monthly, it's probably no longer daily, it's probably minute by minute when you talk about big data. You can draw from instantaneous information. Are we seeing that happening today? Uh, yes, and that's where there's a big difference now between what data means and what information means. Mm. So I think people looked at it and said, uh, you know, I want this at, at my fingertips. Yes, but I always come back to the point that does it actually make you change your decision? Does it actually get you anywhere there? Because if you just have a, just a vast amount of data that you're dealing with, 
what's it for? Mm. And so we come back to something that uh, is, is uh, again, use case driven. So mm. we sit with our clients and say, look, tell us about your day in the life. What are you actually using today? Mm. If you're a trader or portfolio manager versus if you're in governance or if you're in ESG or if you're in sales or business development mm. or any other functions, what are the data fields or what are the data sources that you think you would need to um, get your job done? Mm. As we work back, and it's quite interesting, uh, you look at things like the completeness, you look at the what we call the velocity of data, mm. you look at the validation of data. So for example, if I want to make a decision in the next 10 minutes, you know what, I'm quite happy to have you know a couple of data points, I get what that means and I move on. Mm. But if I'm at the board level, I'm talking about a massive, you know, capital shift, asset allocation, policy change, you know, I want some research. Mm-hmm. I want lots of data points mm-hmm. and I want lots of validation. Yeah. So that's also a little bit of where we use a bit of the data science mm. to say it's not just about one data model fits all. And if we actually spent, uh, you know, all of that energy in actually looking and saying, what does it mean for, you know, a trader on a minute by minute basis? What does it mean for a CIO on a daily basis, a CRO on a weekly basis? And, and you sort of extend this out. Mm-hmm. You can actually come to, I think, a very nice um, uh, situation. Think about controversies. Mm. So stuff happens in the media all the time. You get you know, companies in the news for X, whatever that is. Um, now, when it hits, you need to quickly understand what's, what the impact is. Mm-hmm. Is it impacting uh, one company, one portfolio, 10 portfolios? What about contagion? Is it going to spill, spill into that sector? Mm. What does that mean in terms of my overall asset allocation? Do mm. I still have enough uh, hedging and risk budgeting to actually counter what's happened? Mm. Um, is there an event that's going to last for the next two days, mm. two weeks? Mm-hmm. Uh, how long mm. is the tail effect going to be there? Mm. So these are the kind of things that we look at from a, from a big data perspective mm. to try and solve uh, these kind of questions, or at least help answer some of these questions. Um, ultimately, it comes down to, as I said, you know, what's it actually being used for? I think the old ways, if you went back even, as I say, five, six years ago, was give me every data point, every column, every row, every day just in case. Mm, mm. Now I think with technology and, and the way the platforms are being built and data is being recognized, the value that is being recognized, you don't necessarily need to have everything all at the same time in the one place. Mm. And that's the sort of just-in-time uh, um, aspect as well. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, of course, that uh, the thinking around the data and uh, sustainability analytics uh, started in this region, mm. Asia-Pacific, uh, three, four years ago. Uh, there are comments saying that um, because we are in the emerging markets, access to data can be a little bit more challenging. And when you look at what you have today in terms of analytics, are you facing the same issue in terms of you know going into China or going to emerging markets, just generally unable to pull information that would be helpful for investors? It's, um, let's, be, let's be, I think, uh, pragmatic about this. Um, if there is no fundamental framework uh, for companies to disclose, mm or for markets to understand why certain issues should be topical, so mm. social issues for them, mm. or environmental issues. It's not going to be top of mind, and certainly you're not going to find enough data whether unstructured or unstructured. So there could be stuff that's unstructured, and so that's a key distinction. If you look at unstructured data, it's things like uh, blogs and observations you find on the internet and so forth. Now, these are good in a sense, because you need a huge amount of them, to get you know, some sort of consensus, some sort of thesis as to what's actually driving this issue, but you need some structured data. Is it actually being measured? So if you've got CO2 emissions, do I have that measured somewhere? 
um, for example. Um, so it's this combination, and what we find, I think, in developing or emerging markets is this, uh, that that balance has to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Now, how's it being addressed? To be fair, was it going to be addressed by you know one part of the industry? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. It's going to take governments. It's going to take some regulations. It's going to take some stewardship codes, governance codes, um, pension funds, it's going to take asset managers, it's going to take a coordinated effort to get to that level. Stock exchanges, for example, disclosure and so forth. Uh, taxonomy, are we talking about the same thing? Because one person's green is another person's not quite green. Mm-hmm. And we've got to think about what that means as well. Yeah. And so one of the things that we've, uh, as we go through this journey, is mm-hmm. we realize in emerging markets, it's actually a differentiator. Mm. A corporate actually can differentiate who they are. Mm. An asset manager can actually uh, generate alpha looking at ESG factors. Um, so this is the kind of differentiation that we think is going to make a big difference. Mm-hmm. It's not so much about just saying, look, you know, I've got uh, the ESG statement signed, uh, you know, I've got some bare bones risk management uh, tied up, uh, my you know, one year attestation and so forth. This is actually about stock selection. Mm-hmm. This is actually about uh, you know, the, the next generation of alpha. Mm-hmm. And that's what's exciting mm-hmm. if you look at the data that, that we know is going to come through in emerging markets. We're going to see, I think, uh, greater disclosure come through, especially in China. You know, we've got uh, so many you know, companies now in the MSCI, for example. Uh, you've got uh, greater requirements and disclosure coming through across various stock exchanges. Um, and there's a gr- and combine that with the unstructured element of just access to digital uh, capabilities. Uh, you know, you walk down any street in whether it's Phnom Penh or uh, you know any other country, any other city in any other country, Ho Chi Minh, wherever you go, what you end up finding mm. is people have uh, mobile phones. Mm. People have literally what people would dream of in their office in the palm of their hands. Yeah. And they can yeah. question anything. Yeah. You can spot anything. Yeah. Um, and so this level of unstructured data and the more and more data points you get, um, and you back that up with something structured, validated and verified, mm. you can then start saying, look, that's a pattern, that's a trend. Mm. Now, we need to talk a little bit about time horizon here. Because mm. I think one of the things that a lot of the risk factors we tend, we tend to be used to historically is, okay, that's hap- gonna happen in the next month or that'll happen in the next quarter. The very word sustainability is long-term. Mm, that's right. That's a big difference. Yeah. So that revolution I talk about in data also has to talk about, we also have to talk about a revolution in financing and investing as well. Mm, mm. If we're doing it for the next one week, next month, next quarter, okay, will we see a radical shift and in, in a difference uh, applying ESG factors? Look, probably not. Will we see something as a system level change uh, as we're seeing, for example, in Japan. Mm. Now, you know, we've all been privy to what uh, the GPIF has been doing over the last number of years. Yes. And it's interesting when you uh, read what Mizuno-san says, mm. the CIO, he says, it's a system level change. Yeah. We're a universal owner. Yeah. We can't pick and choose. Yeah. So we, everything has to get better. Mm. Otherwise, you know, how do you end up uh, justifying the returns that you're making mm-hmm. and the time horizon mm-hmm. around which you're managing those uh, life assets and liabilities? So just a couple of those things, I think, are really quite, quite clear and quite important mm-hmm. in emerging markets. You, we, we discuss emerging markets and the sort of data sets that we are faced with. At the same time, also in emerging markets, Asia-Pacific, a lot of the corporates here are somehow uh, quasi-linked to the government. So does that present a unique challenge in the sense of accessing information and being able to feed that into your analytics? The, the challenge is always going to come down to, you know, when you describe sovereign risk, mm. you describe corporate risk. Mm. Now, it's interesting, mm. we were doing some studies on this just, just recently, and part of this 
analysis says, is a sovereign risk a uh, so-called uh, bottom-up addition of all the corporate risk? Mm. Does that, or but if you do from a sovereign top-down perspective, mm-hmm. how do you weed out the individual corporate risk? Um, do you have double counting, basically? Because what we, what we really need to focus on is how do you split out the interaction? Mm. The fact that a policy or a regulation change mm. uh, that a government do, uh, puts mm. in place, um, now what's the multiplier effect in certain sectors? Does it favor, for example, uh, you know, utilities or energy or consumer, for example? Um, how can you go and ascribe what uh, the benefit of that corporate in terms of revenues and sales is because of regulatory change versus what the company has itself done? How do you disentangle the two? Um, and so there's a lot of, uh, now again, we come back to big data. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to talk about, okay, what about the, the flows? Uh, is, is most of the company's uh, profits being generated by uh, trade with certain jurisdictions where it is a freer market, for example? Mm-hmm. Can we start going to that level? You know what? Uh, we can. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's the level of granularity, yeah. which sounds scary for a lot of people. Because mm-hmm. now you're talking, hang on, I need to go to the nth degree to find out really what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know what? Why not? Because if it's in your portfolio, that's a significant portion. You want to know what's going on. Yes, if you're yes. a fund manager, that's yes. you know, a risk officer. You need to know this. Yeah. Um, but how are you going to go about doing it? Mm-hmm. Now, um, I'm not saying that this takes the place of people on the ground going and visiting a, you know, a factory or you know, a, a, an actual construction site yeah. and saying yeah. what's happening. Yeah. But you go back to the 6,000 companies that I talked about. How do you pick which one? Mm-hmm. For that, right. you need some filtering. Yes. For that, you need some trends, you need some data science that says, look, you know, majority of the stuff, fine, no issues happening there. By the way, have a look at these five, some interesting uh, outliers that the model's predicting. Yes, yes. Yeah. Then, boots on the ground, let's go and have a look. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that combination of quantum call. Mm-hmm. I think yes. you need to have both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned about getting the, the, the engagement with other stakeholders within the ESG framework, right? How are you seeing the other uh, entities that are quite important players, uh, say, for example, uh, rating agencies and so on, uh, adding or adding to themselves in terms of helping uh, expand the scope for ESG investing? So I think um, there's been some really good positive moves. Mm. Um, a couple of things. Has ESG been... Uh, done previously and you know historically, mm-hmm. I would argue yes. Mm-hmm. Have we called it ESG? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take the G. Yeah. Have ratings agencies been looking at governance? Absolutely, for the longest time. Mm. Um, have they been considering? Have, we, have they been considering specific ex- uh, environmental issues mm. like climate risk, climate mm-hmm. change? Uh, look more recently. Mm. That's mm. not something that you went back to the sixties and seventies and people said right climate change. Let's you know, talk about you know, credit ratings. Um, so that's more recent. That's just the, the awareness. Yeah. Um, the interaction between environmental and governance, social. Mm-hmm. Now it's interesting because if you look at uh, you know all of these uh, components fitting in, mm-hmm. one of the things that people look and say, look, what do I target? Mm-hmm. If I'm a, if I'm looking at a credit uh, analysis, it's really about governance, right? Mm-hmm. It's about uh, you know probability default, loss given default, and can can the company pay back? That's really what it's about, really, isn't it? Well, let's start talking a little bit about the social aspect. Because if the company doesn't exist anymore, there's a social aspect of those people not being employed. Mm-hmm. They can't save. So suddenly you have an impact on society. Who's going to pick up the bill? So you see there's an S element that comes into this as well. Yeah. And so this is why the science 
and, and putting some of the data around it, mm. and understanding the interrelationships is mm. actually quite important as well. Mm. And so that's really why when you look at uh, you know, whether it's the UNPRI or whether it's uh, you know, um, stewardship codes, the governance codes, you look at uh, educational capabilities, that uh, you know, whether it's SFC here, whether it's uh, IMAS in Singapore, or the MAS, um, there's a whole range of sort of educational and awareness that has to under- be undertaken as well, at all mm. levels. Yes, yes. There's no point in us saying, look, this is great, mm. we're going to solve the mm. E problem, mm. and then we forget about the rest. Mm. Um, you know, when we did our uh, BNP Paribas survey last year, mm. uh, you know, they said, the survey respondent said, E is the number one thing. I need to focus on E. But it was interesting because as soon as you asked the question on S and G, they said, well, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. We need to look at that as well. Yes. So, so some of these uh, conversations can get mm. very, very uh, nuanced very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so that's really why when you look at credit rating agencies, when you look at pension funds, when you look at asset managers, um, when you look at uh, even folks that uh, you know, are just building software these days, you know, why are they doing it? What's the context? Mm. Give them the context. And the context is really around ESG and sustainability. Mm. Now, if you look mm-hmm. at risk analysis, you know, the risk that people have been uh, not really looking at is really around ESG. Mm. Um, you know, we're 10 years past the global financial crisis. What was that crisis about? People say it's a financial crisis. Actually, it's a governance crisis. Mm. It's a social crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only thing that was missing was the E. Yes, yes, yes. So from a risk perspective, I really believe that it's always been done. Mm-hmm. I think <clears throat> going back to some of this terminology, taxonomy, we're not calling it something. And then people are, you know, is that really what it is? And so that's really where that education comes in. That's really where a lot of the folks have to come together and say, we're talking about the same thing, guys. Mm. Thinking about ESG investing and stepping back a bit, of course, there's a lot of conversation around ESG investing today. And as you say, you know, probably we've been doing it, especially the G part, but certainly a lot more focus. When you think about the clients that you meet and engaging with them, how much of their thinking have moved from, say, process-driven, I want to be part of that movement to actually becoming more outcome driven. I want to make change happen today. That's a great point. Um, and that's a big change that's, that's occurring as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk about this rise of impact investing, which is a cre- really, really key, key change. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it was interesting. Um, so a number of weeks ago, um, uh, I was in Australia and they had a UNEP uh, FI conference. Mm-hmm. And it was really quite an interesting conference because you had uh, folks from uh, you know, various parts of the world who was talking about um, you know, uh, building a sustainable, resilient roadmap for the economy. Mm, mm. Big folks on climate risk, climate change. Now, it was interesting because a lot of the folks in the, in, in the audience were saying, this is all good and well. Incorporating ESG is lovely. Integration, great. What's the outcome? Mm, mm, mm. Where will it actually lead to? Mm, mm. Um, you know, if, I, if we're talking about uh, infrastructure, uh, if we're talking about projects, if we're talking about financing certain uh, uh, you know, um, projects in uh, emerging markets or frontier markets, uh, you know, what, what about our own economies? Uh, Australia, New Zealand, for example. Um, impact is now becoming a lot more prevalent in people's minds. Mm. So we go back to sort of that, that 101 you mentioned. Mm. So people really go and say, look, I'm going to start with some screening. I'm going to just screen out the, the sin stuff. I'm not comfortable with it. Then they might say, well, what if I positively screen? I want to do some of the, the stuff that's really good, overweight or tilted towards that stuff. Ah, but then I'm going to now integrate that throughout what I do. Mm. So you talk about integration. Yeah. And ultimately, as you say, you get to this point where people then go and say, well, but ultimately, what's the outcome? Mm. Mm. What was it for? 
Mm. And, in that, and in that sense is where people are now looking and saying, well, actually, I could do that in uh, whether it's is it the green bond space, is it a social bond space, uh, is it specific types of infrastructure, um, should I look at private debt, private equity to help solve some of these um, issues? Um, that sort of comes back down to what the investors set up for. Mm. Now, what's their mandate? Because yeah, yeah. if you know, it's interesting, it's pretty easy actually to look at most of the uh, pension mandates and saying, look, you're actually saving on behalf of people, uh, you know, who, who are part of this natural ecosystem. So if they lose their jobs, how the heck are they going to save? And what are you going to be managing assets on behalf of? And Absolutely. so it's this natural sort of feedback loop. And so the mission statement of that investor then starts, uh, I would say, almost getting into that next level of saying, well, what are we actually managing the assets on behalf of? Mm. Um, and then you see, uh, as we mentioned on the GPIF scale, it's universal. Yeah. You can't step away from it because you're so big. Yeah. Um, we've seen, for example, uh, BlackRock, you know, last year came out with, you know, Larry Fink comes up with a letter and says, you know, this is a universal thing. Uh, you can't you know, abrogate your responsibilities. Uh, we've heard talk about fiduciary duty. Um, you know, just yesterday, um, you know, in the US and California, they passed a bill that pension plans have to take into account climate risk into their assessments. Um, so it's becoming more of this groundswell mm. and people are realizing that that's what is BAU. Mm-hmm. That's normal, mm-hmm. is what you have to do. Um, the transmission mechanism, especially mm-hmm. in emerging markets, and we mentioned stock selection, we mentioned alpha before, especially in emerging market frontier markets, I mean, that's where you know, people are looking and saying, can we do, from, do it with impact? Mm-hmm. Because you're going to lift up an economy, you're going to make them from producers to consumers, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Will that be done by integrating mm-hmm. ESG? Will that also be done by some impact investing, mm-hmm. which then uh, leads to that multiplier effect? Mm-hmm. In five years, seven years, eight years, mm-hmm. you start getting a uh, you know a sea of people who are actually now consumers. Mm. They want to save, they want to spend. So guess what? Now the companies are going well. Great, mm. <laughs> we have products, mm-hmm. we have solutions, mm. and so this is this sort of great uh, growth story mm. um, that ESG really helps uh, promulgate. I would say. Yeah. Now, of course, outcome driven is the conversation we're having right now. And we're talking about risk factors that one has to be mindful of when you think about ESG. How much linkage do you see today between ESG investing and financial return? Strong linkage. Um, one of the key things that uh, I think has been put to bed many years uh, ago was this uh, question, am I sacrificing something? Mm-hmm. If I look at, mm-hmm. if I look at uh, investment returns, am I sacrificing something? Um, and interestingly enough, there's been a huge amount of studies on, on, on this basis. Um, so I Conclusive think, studies and look, there are it, debates going on. Of right? course, there's always going to be debate. Yeah. I, think, and that's part, and I think that's part of the richness of the, of the area, mm. of the discussion that you have in this, mm. in this space. Mm. Um, you still have uh, some pockets of study that you know, we still have to give and we still have to understand and take. Mm. We still have to really look at certain markets, especially in emerging frontier, and say, look, what's a long-term track record? Mm. We have to look at probably emerging private equity yeah. and, and do some analysis around that. Uh, we might have to look at things like uh, you know, ESG and liquidity, for example. Mm-hmm. So these are some interesting questions that still you know, we have to ask and we still have to do some research around. Yeah. No question. I think from a performance perspective, what's interesting is, is that you know, we've seen that, uh, you know, as we mentioned, you know, um, an improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but an improvement in what? So let's look at improvements in uh, return. Mm-hmm. Will there be improvements in return? Yes, depending on... Um, coverage depending on asset class, region and sector. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, why would that be? 
again, it comes down to, you know, what are the sectors that are more susceptible to certain ESG issues, controversies? Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at climate change, for example, if you look at certain sectors like energy materials, are they more susceptible? Are they more prepared, potentially? Mm. Um, so that, again, there's some, di- there's some difference in distinctions there. Um, if you look at on a risk basis, and the story around ESG has been more risk-based. You know, you avoid the shock, you avoid the controversy, you avoid the black swan, you avoid et cetera, et cetera, the drawdown. And that's been the story. Um, now, if we put risk and return together, what we're actually getting is an improved risk-return ratio. We're getting mm-hmm. a better sharp ratio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we're getting better outcomes in terms of uh, you know, protecting the downside while still capturing the upside. And so that's really where the, um, the performance improvement comes through. Um, now, again, I come back to okay, but what time frame? Mm-hmm. Now, to be very fair, uh, again, there was an interesting study released uh, just uh, in the last month. Uh, a little bit Australian in this, in this context because, again, it was released by uh, in Australia. Looked at the landscape there, one of the most recent ones. It was very interesting. Um, over the long term, over the long term, your share funds, your multi-asset funds, and your international funds outperform their non-ESG peers. Mm-hmm. Short term, it's arguable. Yeah, it's roughly the same. Mm. Here's the here's the killer point: after fees. That's a key point. Mm. So if you and I are investing, and again, it comes back to what do I have to pay for this? Surely if I'm putting all this extra research, ESG data and analytics and everything else, isn't, isn't it going to cost me? Mm. And so that, one of the pragmatic things we always look at when we look at these return studies is to say, look, what's the fee? Mm. What's the fee effect? Because yeah. if it makes, if you, if you still get alpha after fees, it's a good thing. If it's repeatable, scalable alpha over three, five, seven years, that's that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's really where we're looking at from a performance perspective, we look at from a risk perspective. And we've also done some studies and say, look, well, but what drives it? So is it, for example, you know, optimizing to the best ESG companies in my universe? Yes, you get a benefit. Is it avoiding, for example, certain types of controversies? So if, in our model, you can go and say, look, every time something gets flagged for a controversy, remove it. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can do that. Mm-hmm. But we've just now increased the turnover. Yes, yes. So yes. there's you know, mm. a little bit of give and take. Mm. What about business involvements? That's a critical one, actually. Mm. So do I want to be involved with companies whose revenues have been generated from you know, so-called activities that I'm not comfortable with? Um, certain uh, industries, certain sectors. So if you look at uh, many um, fund managers and certainly even BNP, uh, have taken a stance against uh, tobacco, for example, so tobacco-free portfolios. Mm. Um, no. So that's an example of where you know I don't want to be involved. I can remove that from my portfolio. Um, I can even measure that in terms of the revenue impact to all my uh, investments. And then I can go and say, look, what's my performance? What's the benefit to risk and return? Um, and it's measurable and it's a positive one. Mm. And so this is the kind of thing that I think when we look at it, it's a, such a rich area. Mm. Is, the, is, is the discussion closed? Is the book closed on this? Absolutely not. Mm. I think there's a lot more to be done. Um, I think there's a lot more to be done, especially uh, in China. Uh, I think we'll see you know, groundswell effects coming through in a lot of emerging Asia. Uh, look at Latin America. There's still a huge pocket of uh, study to be done in mm. terms of uh, the change that's happening in some of these markets. Um, and I'll be very honest, if you look at most ESG models, uh, you know, they'll sort of light up green and, and so forth in most of the world. Africa, grey, because mm-hmm. we haven't really spent 
huge amount of time、mm. looking at some of the、uh, some of the things that are going、mm. on there. But that will come.、Mm. And again, that's the next part of the, the ESG story as well. Thinking about Asia Pacific, and we started off saying that Asia Pacific was the foundation for the analytics of BNP Paribas. We're having worked on this project for a number of years now. Where do you see Asia Pacific leading in terms of ESG investing? So, interestingly enough,、um, the the thirst or I suppose the appetite in Asia.、Mm. So again, when we、uh, did the survey last year, and we're going to redo that next year, by the way,、mm. um, as a sort of a, okay, two years on, what's happened.、Um, One of the things we found was Asia or APAC was the first ones to say yes. We think it's a good idea.、Mm. Let's not argue about it. We think it's a good idea, but how do we go about doing it? And so the appetite is there.、Mm. Um, you know, I want to go into it. I want to launch a fund. I want to integrate it. I want to do some impact investing. How do I go about doing it? So it's become a practical conversation.、Mm. And so that's really where now it's more about nuts and bolts.、Mm. Let's not sit around strategizing what may come. How do we actually get it done? And so, in a lot of cases, we've seen whether it's in Hong Kong with、uh, you know sovereign bonds being issued,、uh, whether it's green bonds in、uh, you know, grant schemes in Singapore,、um, you know, task forces that are being established. You know, Hong Kong will be coming soon, for example,、uh, with Dr. Majun.、Um, so there's some moves happening that say that actually this is really about how do we actually get this practically done.、Mm-hmm. One of the key reasons being is you have to create the market because、mm-hmm. people have to trade. Yeah. So if I'm only sitting there with myself as an asset owner with one bond or one equity vehicle, this is great.、Mm. But that's good for me.、Mm-hmm. What about the market? Yeah. If I want to buy and sell, if I want to increase the trade in, whether it's green bonds or whether it's you know, private equity,、uh, secondary markets, and so forth. So this is where you know there, there's a lot of disruption. There's a lot of opportunity. There's also a challenge,、mm. because you know Asia Pacific when we call it when we call it a region, it's not the EU. Mm. Not one harmonized, unified one、uh, union, for example. You know, everyone works together, but everyone has an agenda,、mm. and they're also at all different stages of、uh, you know development, whether it's、uh, you know economically, demographically,、uh, you know, you name it.、Mm. And so that's also why、uh, you know every you know, country in Asia has a different view、mm. on what is ma- what is important to them. Now, if you went to、uh, you know frontier Asia or emerging Asia, they'd say, well, actually, we want stuff that you know microfinance. We want stuff that you know you've got to build a bridge. You know, we need some、uh, you know, plants built, clean water. We need sanitation. Okay, in Hong Kong and Singapore, to be very fair, it's not the same thing.、Mm-hmm. Right. So that's also why when we take that whole spectrum of ESG investing, I think in Asia and Asia Pacific, certainly, it's probably the most richness and diversity that we're going to see. Um, it's not homogenous, and I think that's really where,、um, from an investment perspective, there's got to be opportunities for the asset manager, the asset owner,、um, to really make a difference.、Mm. And certainly, I think then, therefore, we talk we talk about the、uh, spillover effect, because that's really about the long term. That's really about you know lifting up the economies.、Um, it goes back to that、uh, word sustainability. Right, so that's sustained long term performance, long term return,、uh, and sustained quality. You've been listening to Madhu Gayer, Director, Head of Investment Analytics and Sustainability, Asia Pacific at BNP Paribas. Madhu, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Pleasure.